okay, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Rich. As Adrian said, I've managed to remember the first thing, which is to not get started before the little uh, finishing uh, twang of the guitar. Um, and this morning, what we're going to be doing is continuing our new series, Building Culture. Uh, it's all about how we can uh, increasingly be a people who learn what it is to live with a kingdom culture, a way of seeing the world which is shaped by an understanding of who God is and what he's done. And then to take with us that culture wherever we go in order to reveal Jesus and transform and shape the cultures that we find ourselves in. You see, each of us is in a unique position in our schools, in our universities, in our workplaces, in our recoveries, in our homes, our streets, the communities where we live. Each of us is in a unique position to reveal the beauty of Jesus the King and the kingdom uh, that he's come to inaugurate. And last Sunday, Adrian looked at how we build a culture of love. And this week, we're going to focus on a different aspect, that of hope. And we're going to do that by looking at three different areas. Firstly, the foundation of our hope. Secondly, the experience of hope. And finally, how we work that out by building a culture of hope. So that's where we're going this morning. And we're going to start off with a passage from Colossians, uh, which is a letter from a guy called Paul. Uh, it's in the New Testament. It's to one of the earliest churches in order to help correct some things that they've been getting wrong by pointing them back to the wonder of who Jesus is. And so this morning we're going to look at Colossians 1, verses 15 to 20, uh, which are going to come up on the screens behind me. And it says this, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And in this passage, we have one of the most striking, one of the most beautiful descriptions of who Jesus is in the whole Bible. It's arranged like a poem uh, where all of the different expressions of who Jesus are, who Jesus is, are designed to flow and balance with one another. And so this morning, what we're going to do to kick things off is to just take each one of those and expand on it a little bit in order to help us better see and understand more of this wonder of the Jesus that we've been singing about. And so in this passage, we hear that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that in him, the whole nature and character of God has been perfectly revealed. We never have to think, I wonder what God is like, really. Because in Jesus, we see the perfect representation of the Father. And in a world filled with images of things that claim to satisfy our deepest and most heartfelt desires, with money that promises security and comfort, with adverts that promise beauty and acceptance, here is the image of the true 
God, the only one who can truly satisfy. We hear in this passage that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Not that he was the first to be created, as some would have it, but rather he is first in creation. He stands above everything. And at the same time, every created thing has been made in him. He isn't somehow separate from his creation. It's innately a part of who he is. The way he has chosen to create is within himself in order to reveal who he is. We hear that Jesus reigns over thrones and powers and rulers and authorities. The strongest armies of kings and governments have to bow the knee to who Jesus is. The greatest empires in history, the Greeks and the Romans and even the British, all they can do, even at their very greatest height, is produce a poor parody of the true kingdom, the sovereign rule of the true king. We hear that Jesus is the one who holds all things together, who not only gave life to the universe, but is the very force which sustains it. He's not a God who sets things in motion and then steps back to let it run. He's intimately involved every second of every minute of every hour of every day in continuing to speak out life. We hear that Jesus is the head of the church So that not only is he the original source of all life in the universe, but also he's the source of the new life of faith expressed through the church, demonstrated by his life, death and resurrection in order to make a way for us to come back to him. We hear in this passage that Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. He's the pattern for the new humanity, the promise that one day, God is going to transform our very bodies with this new life, remaking us into everything we are always intended to be before death and decay set in. When he rose again from the grave, he didn't return to his same fragile state. He went through death in order to usher in a new type of existence, a physicality more real, more alive than our current state. We hear in this passage that Jesus has within himself all of the fullness of God. He's not just the image that represents what God is like in the same way that a statue or a painting might represent a person, but that every ounce of power and majesty and glory, the bigness of an infinite God, all of it resides in him. And at the same time, we hear that Jesus is the one through whom all things will be reconciled, that in the new creation, everything finds its proper place in him. Because of what he did on the cross, nobody has to be separated from God, but rather all are invited to come and receive life. And throughout the whole passage, the message comes through that Jesus is God's agent in creation, in redemption, and in new creation. He's supreme in everything, And at the same time, he's sufficient for all that we need. All of this wonder and majesty is wrapped up in the one who calls us friends, who bids us come to him personally, who longs to pour more of himself into us. And that's a pretty comprehensive list of who Jesus is. 
But the truth is, it only scratches the surface. Do you know this Jesus this morning? If you only remember one thing from today, let it be that he is far bigger, far more loving, far more gracious, far more perfect, far more compassionate, and far more eager for us to know him than we could ever imagine. Some of you uh, who've been around in Birmingham for longer than I have uh, might remember a big department store uh, called Lewis's, um, which was in the city centre for over 100 years until the early 1990s, um, almost about when I was born. Um, It was one of a number of branches throughout the country. Uh, And the writer Donald English tells a story of how the store was becoming more and more popular. And they decided that they needed to build an extension. And so as you can see from the photo, uh, it's already quite a big store, a busy store. um, But they realized they want even more space. They need even more um, place for all of their goods and belongings to go. And so the trouble is that they want to build an extension, but right in the way is a tiny little chapel um, belonging to a small Christian denomination called the Quakers. And so what Lewis's did, what this big department store did, was they sent a letter to the leaders of this tiny little church saying, uh, saying this. Dear sirs, we wish to extend our premises. We see that your building is right in the way. We wish, therefore, to buy your building and demolish it so that we might expand our store. We will pay you any price you care to name so that we can settle the matter as quickly as possible. Yours sincerely, Lewis's. And a few days later, they got a reply back um, from one of the leaders of this, this little chapel, which said, Dear sirs, we in the Friends Meeting House note the desire of Lewis's to extend. They were quite sassy back then as well. <laughs> we observe that our building is right in your way. We would point out, however, that we have been on our side for somewhat longer than you have been on yours, and we are determined to stay where we are. In fact, we are so determined to stay where we are that we will happily buy Lewis's instead. (laughs) And if, therefore, you would like to name a suitable price, we will settle the matter as quickly as possible. Um, Yours sincerely, George Cadbury. And the punchline is that the Cadburys are probably Birmingham's most famous family, Um, the great chocolatiers and philanthropists, uh, with a business empire big enough to buy Lewis's ten times over. That great big department store looked down on the little chapel, but they didn't see the one who stood within. And the point is, it's not the size of the building that counts, but the one who signs the letter. And the reason that we can go out with hope in the world is not because of ourselves. It's not because of our efforts and who we are. It's because of who Jesus is. He's the one who signs the letter. He's the one who signs us as his own. 
his creation, his people, his agents of a new kingdom culture seeking to increasingly transform this world. And though it might feel sometimes like we're that small chapel standing against a giant department store, we know that behind us stands the one who is supreme in everything. And that's the contrast between the culture of hope that Jesus offers and the culture of hope that the world offers. And in our culture, hope, uh, hope for the future is all bound up with the belief that modern scientific discoveries, technological advancement, the development of Western-style democracy, with all of that, the whole of human history has at last reached its climax, its destiny. The message we hear is that this is where everything has been heading. Humanity has now come of age. We have never had it better. We've seen the future, a future full of hope and and prosperity and justice and peace, a future that everybody longs for. And if we haven't quite implemented it yet, it's because not everyone has gotten the point. Some are still resisting. Some are still stuck in the past. We can't understand why other nations don't follow our example, don't implement our systems, don't become just like us. We haven't learned from the horrors of the 20th century, of war and genocide and poverty, the reality of things like the current refugee crisis, that this idea of inevitable continuous progress is just a myth. It doesn't work. Every culture throughout all of history has thought that they will be the one to finally usher in this new utopia. But it hasn't happened, and it never will. And yet, this idea, this perspective, still forms uh, the dominant perspective in our culture. Um, The line, but it's 2016, uh, is basically shorthand for the assumption that the values and norms of the 21st century are the pinnacle of history, and that anyone who thinks otherwise must still be stuck living in the Stone Age. That's the best our culture can do at recreating a hope where one day every tear is wiped away, where there's no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The Bible offers an alternative. The big story of the gospel, from Genesis to Revelation, is a story of a world which reaches its destiny, its climax, not with the rise of scientific and technological and democratic thought, as much as each of those things are worth celebrating for the good they do bring. The world reaches its climax, its destiny, with the moment when Jesus Christ walks out of the tomb on Easter morning. And that's why, for 2,000 years, the resurrection of Jesus has stood as the central claim of Christianity. If it's true, if it happened that the God of all creation took on human flesh, stepped into the world, not as an outsider, but as one uh, through whom everything has been created, by whose word everything is sustained. If that God walked among us, was put to death and rose again, then the pinnacle of history is behind us. 
And what remains in that Revelation 21, 22 description that Adrian talked about a couple of weeks ago, what remains ahead is the ultimate fulfillment and implementation of that earth-shattering, cosmos-defining event. The good news of the Bible isn't primarily about individuals coming into a relationship um, with God personally, although of course that's part of it. The big message of the Bible is about how the creator God launched his rescue operation for the whole of creation. A creation desperate for that ending full of hope and prosperity and justice and peace. But as the whole of human history has shown us, an ending we are unable to attain by our own efforts. The two stories can't both be true. The world can't have two destinies. The resurrection of Jesus is the most extraordinary and the most dangerous claim in all of history. Because if it's true, then all other ideologies and theologies and philosophies are brought to book. If it's true that the creator of everything laid himself down for the world, conquered death and rose again to resurrection life, then hope, true hope, is based not on an idealised future made possible by the best efforts of broken people, but on a historical event that has already happened. And that's the revolutionary nature of who Jesus is and what he accomplished. When we look at the resurrection, what we see is not just an incredible miracle, not just someone who was dead and is alive again, but a new reality the inauguration of a new kingdom, a sure and steadfast promise on which to base our hope. And if you're here this morning and you can say that you've centred your life on Jesus, that is the place that you get to live from. And if you haven't, then that's the invitation to come and place your hope, not just in a vague possibility that one day humanity will get it right, but in the one who started it all off and now says, it is finished. Tim Keller uh, writes that Christians should be the most realistic people in the world because they should understand better than anyone the depth of humanity's brokenness. But at the same time, they should be the most optimistic people in the world because they live with the knowledge that what has been is a guarantee of what is to come. That's the foundation of our hope. And now we get the privilege of learning to live it out in every circumstance and in the way that we help to shape the culture around us. And so to finish off this morning, uh, I just want to suggest a couple more ways uh, that we can each continue to do that. And so first of all, um, we look at the world around us, the earth itself, uh, the good news of the gospel uh, the hope that we are to hold on to is not that one day God will declare enough and destroy everything, spiriting off a lucky few to a disembodied existence playing harps on clouds, but rather that Jesus is returning to renew and restore everything and that he's already started that with his life, death and resurrection. God isn't going to get rid of the earth in the end, regardless of the good and the bad. 
Uh, and in the very first part of this series, as we kicked off building culture, uh, we heard a quote from Tom Wright, um, which was basically explaining about how what we do in the present matters because it will last into God's future. Uh, and our actions are not just simply ways of, in his words, uh, making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day when we leave it all behind. Rather, they're like seeds, which after much painstaking care and nurturing, burst forth into beautiful flowers. And the same is true of this earth, that one day this planet will burst forth in the power of God into everything that God has always planned for it to be. And therefore, we get the immense privilege of caring for it and nurturing it now. And so it matters what we do in respect to the environment and how we look after the planet we've been given. That's a distinctive of who we're called to be as Christians, a people who take environmental issues seriously because we know that one day God's going to remake it, but not to do away with our efforts, but to perfect them. And finally, um, we help build a culture of hope through prayer. The danger is sometimes that even the word hope can become a bit of a surrogate for prayer. And so if a friend is going for a job interview or has an exam, um, if you're anything like me, you might say, oh, I hope that goes well. Or if they're finding things tough at work or at home, you might say, I hope things get better for you soon. And most of the time, what we're really saying is, I genuinely do want to see that situation work out for your best. But I feel like if I offer to pray, I'll sound way too Christian. Um, that's what it's like for me. So instead, um, we kind of send well wishes, whatever those are. Um, or we say that we're thinking of you because it all sounds a little bit safer. And honestly, as I've reflected on this talk, I've realized that I do that kind of thing way too often. I don't want to say that I'll pray for someone and then run the risk of forgetting and feeling guilty later on. But that's so not the right attitude. And I've been really challenged lately uh, that to believe in this hope is founded not on a vague future possibility that things are going to be okay, but on the assurance of Jesus' resurrection that I read in Scripture and that God himself, through his Spirit, testifies to my innermost being. To believe in that hope is to live within a new reality where our words, our prayers, are powerful and effective because they help to bring that eternal future into our present situations. To say that you'll pray for someone rather than just sending them well wishes and then to go on and do it is to participate in the building of a new kingdom, the calling forward of that Revelation 21, 22 future into the now. It's to highly value both God and one another. And as it happens, as Adrian was sharing about earlier on, uh, tomorrow sees the start of our next week of prayer, when as a church we're giving ourselves to praying for our community, our city, our nation and the nations. And so I want to echo that invitation from earlier um, to get involved, to come and play your part, to sign up for some uh, hour-long slots, to join us on Wednesday or Friday um, for a week pressing deeper into who he is 
and how he wants to reveal himself through us, starting with that challenge to fast from negative speech and instead feast on speaking out positivity. So that's a few ways uh, that we can seek to build a culture of hope through how we respond to trials, um, as Mike shared about so powerfully, through how we treat the world around us and through how we treat God and one another in prayer and positive speech. Each of us is called to play a part and to do so recognising that we get to do it not alone, but together. For each of us, there are unique situations that are specific moments for us to bring hope in a way that only we can. And as you go out this week, whatever your week looks like, you have the privilege and the opportunity of bringing hope in your unique place and in your unique way. And that's something of the incredible joy that we have in getting to do all this together. Why don't we stand together um, and I'll pray to close. I don't know what of that has resonated with you this morning. Maybe it's that experience of uh, suffering and trials that Mike was talking about. Maybe it's that picture, that image of who Jesus is and seeing him in a new way, a new light. Maybe it's that challenge to go out speaking positively in a culture uh, where such a thing is, um, seems like an incredible suggestion, spending a whole week speaking positively and not negatively. How could it be done? But we go out recognising that we do it not alone, but with Jesus. We do it based not on our own efforts, but on what he has already accomplished. And so we pray, Father, this week in each of our unique situations, help us to build this culture of hope into everything that we do. Help us to do it in our workplaces and our universities. Help us to do it in our homes and our communities. Help us to be those who know and experience this hope, whatever we're going through, and who hold it out and reveal it, who reveal you wherever we've been uniquely placed. Help us to do that, Lord, this week and as we go forward. Amen.